2 Timothy chapter 1. Two out of five, hundred, however many there is. Second Timothy chapter one. Before I go into the message, I want to just remind you. Um, you know, back in the book of Genesis, where Jacob uh, was coming back to a place to meet Esau, and uh, you remember that night he camped out by himself by the river, and the Lord came to him that night and. Bible says that he wrestled with the Lord uh, throughout the whole night and that when the daylight come that the Lord told him to let him go and he said he would um, he would not let him go he was holding on for the blessing I will not let you go until you bless me and you know a lot of times when we hear God's word we we listen to it passively uh, or we're thinking about other things and I just want to encourage you this morning that as you listen to this message, I pray that you would wrestle with it. I believe God's Spirit wants to wrestle with every person here. And, and I've wrestled with this, you know, now for a couple of weeks studying it. But, but I, I would ask you to wrestle with it because I think a lot of times we hear God's Word and then we, we're, we're real quick to forget or, or not apply it. Whatever you got to do, if you got to jot notes or I just want this to take root in you, there's no point in standing here. Uh, and preaching if you just passively hear it and going about your life. We're here for life change, life transformation. And most importantly, uh, if there's people here who don't know Christ as your Savior, uh, I would encourage you, you know, when God's Spirit speaks to your heart, wrestle with the Lord. And, and don't let go until you get the blessing of it, okay? All right, looking in Second Timothy chapter 1, <clears throat> I'm going to read verse 7 through 18. It says, uh, remember Paul's writing here to, to Timothy. Uh, I'll, I'll start off in verse 7. He said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed... For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day or until that day. Verse 13, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, 
that all those in Asia have turned away from me among whom are Phagilus and Hermogenes, or however you pronounce that word. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesophorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me in Ephesus. Now, I want to talk to you about living by influence. Not under the influence, but living by influence. You know, when Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it, uh, the culture of this day looked very much like the culture that we're in. Very, uh, very, uh, I guess you would say, a, persecu- a lot of persecution uh, dealing with Christians here. And Paul himself was in chains uh, waiting for uh, his execution. And Timothy, we studied a couple of weeks ago, Timothy was being influenced by these circumstances and, and the lies uh, of other people and of the devil and, and basically what he could physically see and hear. It, this was all influencing his, his actions and his motives and his heart. And, and uh, you know, by reading this, we know that he was fearful, doubtful, discouraged. Possibly, you know, he was uh, coming to a place to have shame towards uh, identifying with with Paul or identifying with the gospel, and if you look at this, we all have uh, we all live whether whether we're in, we are either influencing people uh, or, or we're being influenced by people. You understand that every one of us influence people, and we're being influenced by not only people but circumstances and things that go around us. And I looked up the word influence. The definition of it is the capacity to have an effect on the character. The development or the behavior of someone is the capacity to have an effect on the character, the development, or the behavior of someone. And when you think about influence, there's two basic categories that that we're influenced by. The first one I, I would say would be godly influence. You know, this is a result of uh, the result of godly influence in life, whether it's through the word, whether it's through God's people. However, God influences light influence, okay, in your life. Uh, the result of that's life and peace and hope and and wisdom and courage and faith and love and 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 that's what God uses to develop Christ-like character in us. The other influence would be demonic influence, and and, and demonic influence works off of our sin nature. Every one of us are born with a sin nature. Okay, and, and so demonic influence works off of that sin nature to try to try to to provoke us or try to mold us as we was looking uh, and developing our lives. And and with that, you have fear, a depression, hopelessness, selfishness, hate, greed, violence. You know all, all of those things. But but all of those uh, things lead to destruction okay it leads to death and and ultimately if you die without Christ if you're under the if you're under an influence that that leads you to turn away from the gospel you're going to end up in a devil's hell okay so it's very important that you look at your life and look at these categories and go all right what am i in my life being influenced by what is influencing my character? What's influencing the way that I live? What's developing my children and my grandchildren? And you look at these two influences, you're either being influenced by a godly influence or you're being influenced by a sinful or a demonic influence. I know people don't like to be talking about demons and all, and, and you know what? They don't like you talking about them either, but they're very real, and they they work off of our sinful nature 
And let me say this, as God's people, even though you're a born-again believer, you still have a sinful nature. We still have a sinful nature in us. Adam's nature's in us. The awesome thing is that when Christ saves us, he gives us the power to overcome that. Not that we're sinless, but we can overcome that sin and that temptation in our life to walk under the influence of God's Spirit. And that's what the Bible teaches, that we walk in the Spirit, that we do not gratify the things of the sinful nature or of the flesh. So when Paul wrote this letter, his hope was for Timothy to stop allowing the culture and the circumstances and all the things that were surrounding him to influence him and to start following after a godly influence to live by faith, which would result ultimately in victory. And and when we look at our lives, you know, you say, what is my desire? My desire is that we would all, all of us, myself, would do the same exact thing. That we would stop being molded by and influenced so much by everything that goes on around us in this world and in this country, all right, and start living by faith. Living by faith means I'm influenced by the Word of God, by the truth of God, by the Spirit of God, and I'm going to respond to that rather than what I see or hear physically, okay? Uh, I talked to so many people and involved with so many people that our lives, even in the church, listen to me, in the church, are full of fear and anxiety and trouble and misery and division and chaos and confusion and anger. And you can just go on and on with the list uh, of people that God's people, we, we shouldn't be living this way. You know, and here's the thing. God doesn't need us. We're, we're in desperate need of the Lord this morning. And so in this, when we look at our lives, you know, we're, we're, the, the devil uses so many different things to influence us and to influence our kids and to influence our grandkids. And, and I was looking this week and probably I would say the most, um, prevalent thing would be, you know, social media or internet or YouTube. And, and then another one I want to touch on, you know, is the American culture. And I call it the American cult. You know, it's funny that if you do anything to break the pattern of the American culture, all of a sudden you're labeled as a cult. And and I'll be honest with you, if you do anything to break the average pattern of the American church culture, they'll call you a cult. You know, no doubt I've been called a cult leader because we don't go along with everything that, you know, I guess you would say that the the average popular churches are doing. And all of a sudden, you know, for there for a while, I hadn't heard it in a long time, and it don't bother me, but a long time you like you mentioned Cedar Creek and be like, oh, you're a part of that cult. And say, why? Because we're trying to live by the Bible. Why? Because we take our faith outside of the church building on Sunday. Why? Because we're truly trying to glorify Jesus and be obedient to God's word because we're seeking his purpose in his life. And all of a sudden you want to label us as a cult because we're doing something different than, than the dead church junk that's gone on for the last 20 years. Call me a cult. You know what I mean? But, but here's the thing. What's funny is America in itself is a cult. Because the American culture starts when you're a little bitty and they start molding you into going, this is the pattern of life that you must live if you are going to fit in with society. You know, they tell our kids, you have to get, you get, you know, the best education you can get, you wear the right kind of clothes, you fit in with the right kind of kids, you get involved in the right kind of sports, you try to be popular, you go to school, you get the best education you can get, you get the best job you can get, so you can make the most money that you can make, so you can live in a certain kind of neighborhoods, and all of that, and once you, once you have all that, and you're in with the right group, then you're, then you're normal, and you have life. But if you step outside of that and go, you know what, this is retarded. This is absolutely empty. It isn't worth anything. It's vain. And I'm going to pursue the life that Christ has for me. And I'm going to live according to what the scripture says. All of a sudden they want to label you as a cult. 
But they don't, they don't want to look at themselves and say, we're, we're, America is the one that's the cult that they're trying to mold everybody into so that you'll be like them. And they try to influence us. You know, another thing, politics, you see so much of that, I won't get on that today. I think people are influenced just, just out of ignorance. Another one of the huge influences in our culture is alcohol and drugs, television, music. You know, you can go on and on to all the different things that Satan uses to mold our character, our desire, our dreams, the way we live. And he does it so deceitfully and he works in that. And then all of a sudden you're challenged by the word of God. Now listen to me. I realize you can read the Bible and, and what we do a lot of times, we read the Bible, and uh, rather than to take it for what it says, we make a lot of excuses, and we're like, well, that was then, not now, and it's different then than it is now, and God couldn't expect us to blah, 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 and we make all of this stuff up, or we read things that we haven't ever experienced or seen, and so we just sign it off as, you know, that's that's not the way the Lord works, He doesn't do those things anymore, and and, and, you know, miracles and, and that kind of stuff. You know, we've, we've brought it down to where we, we nicely manage, you know, our faith, where we come to church and we live a little bit of a moral life to a point. But do we truly pursue the God of the Scripture to do the things He says He will do? God doesn't change. And I think that we're the ones being influenced. A lot of times we're, we're being influenced by religion. You know, I looked up. I've got to kind of hurry this week because i got a little bit to cover but I, I do want to share this for you i was looking as i was studying this week and and i just pulled up um what influenced you i typed in what influenced you to become an atheist and you know one of the most common things that that cause young people to become atheists a large majority of atheists were involved in church and one of the common answers were the messages were irrelevant Okay, I'll take responsibility for my part. Irrelevant. They didn't answer the questions. And I, here's why I'm at. If you're considering me an atheist, please come talk to me. Because I can make the Bible. The Bible is relevant. And it will answer your questions. Okay? Um, I'm not going to turn this into a science class, but I'll be glad to sit down with you. And there's a whole lot of people a whole lot smarter than me that do the same thing. And, and the other thing was, here was, the, here was the thing that stuck with me. It said, most people sitting in church do not practice what they believe. Not not in a hypocritical way, but they said no one in church ever tried to convert me. They they say they believe the gospel. They say they believe in a heaven and a hell, but nobody in church ever tried to convert me outside of the pastor preaching on Sunday. And so they become atheists. I'm like, so you're telling me that church is one of the biggest influences for people becoming atheists, and you don't think we got a problem in the American church? All right, that's your part now. <coughs> so here, Paul brings Timothy back into. Clear perception. You know, the devil uses all these things to influence us, and he gets us all wound up. Maybe some of you got stuff going on, circumstances in your life where you're wound up, or maybe you've got things going on where you got chaos, and, and that's what the devil tries to do. He's like a three-ring circus of destruction, and he just tries to get your attention and overwhelm your heart so that he takes control of your thoughts and your minds, and once he gets control of your thoughts and your mind, he'll get control of your action and your life. And so Paul brings Timothy back into clear perception. And I want to say this this morning. If you want life and peace... Listen to me, no matter where you're at, I don't care what hole you're in, what condition your life is in, lost or saved, if you want life and peace, Jesus said, I come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. He does that, okay? Don't start making excuses, well, that's for other people, you don't know my background. I don't care. God doesn't care what your background, He is not limited in power or redemption because of your background, okay? The worse your background is, the better off grace is because you understand how great His grace is. Understand that. 
And so in that, no matter where you are, you have to decide what you want. I've already decided. And you have to decide in your life if you want to continue in the place that you are to let America tell you how to live, to let our culture decide how you want to raise your children and the outcome of that. Or you go, you know what? I want what the Bible. I want what the Bible teaches. I want what Jesus offers me. I want life and peace. I want peace in my marriage and family. I want an incredible family. I want generations to walk in peace because I started off and made that decision. I want to follow Jesus. I want to find his purpose and calling for my life. I want to see miracles in my life. I want to, I want to be fulfilled in my life. I want to have satisfaction. I want to have success. I want to have victory in my life. He promises every bit of that. The rest is up to us of what we will allow of influence us. But you have to determine, you know, here's the thing I read this week. Um, see, it's in uh, Isaiah 43. I was talking to the Lord and all this. And anyhow, I was reading in Isaiah 43, and I can't quote it to you. But the Lord said, put away the former things. Behold, I do a new thing. That's what, that's what stuck out to me. And I was like, God, I'm ready for a new thing in my life. You know, I don't want to hinge my life on the former things, not even the former good things. I'm like, today's a new day, and I want to walk in a new way, and I want to see God do new things with me, rather than get into a pattern of, well, it's just what, you know, cruise on through the end of my life. And I'm like, no, I don't want to settle for anything less than what God has. I want God to meet me where I'm at and take me where only He can carry me. Now, there are three influences that Paul speaks of here that that have to If you desire that in your life, these influences have to rise above every other influence in your life. If you're not willing to do that, you're going to live, you know, you're going to live a plain drab, you know, whatever. I'm not saying you're not a believer, but you're not going to get a whole lot out of this world other than what the world has to offer and a little bit of religion on Sunday, okay? And so I want to challenge you to write these down and consider this and wrestle with it. Three influences that have to rise above all other. Notice what Paul says in verse 8. He says, Therefore... Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. And notice what he says here, but share with me in the sufferings. He's not just talking about the good times, you know, and a lot of things that, that churches are trying to paint up, uh, you know, the prosperity, health, wealth, gospel, junk. He said, you share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, the first and greatest influence in our life if we're going to see what god has promised has to be the gospel and this is a i'll be honest with you this is a question i have wrestled with and wrestled with through the week is the gospel the greatest influence of my life you go you're a preacher that doesn't matter you know i have a lot of other things in my life that you know does the gospel influence my life yes but is it the greatest is is it exalted above everything else to where everything in my life that I involve my life in filters through the gospel? How I work, where I work, what I do, the way I raise my family, the way that I am a husband to my wife, the way that I do ministry, the people that I'm around, every bit of those things, the gospel, they should filter through the gospel of Jesus. If I truly believe it, it has to be, and it should be, it deserves to be the greatest influence of every person's life in this room. And when you think about that, notice what he says here. He says, um, according to the power of God, and in verse 9 it says, Who has saved us? Who has saved us? We. Um, we, we, we've been in church culture for so long. You know, I, I ask people, you know, I, I stopped asking people, are you saved? Because here's the thing, everybody's saved. 
when you use the term saved, it's just, it's just so common now. We've made it such a common word and a common saying, like, yeah, I'm saved, but what does that have to do with this? You know, you talk to people and their marriage is in a wreck, you're like, well, let me ask you a question. Are you saved? Yeah, we're saved, but what does that have to do with my marriage? What does being saved have to do with my finances? What does saved have to do with raising my kids? Because that's, yeah, when I was, you know, when I was whatever age in church, I walked out front, I prayed the prayer, yeah, I'm saved. I'm thinking, that term is a holy term. It means it's it's above all everything else. Do you understand? You know, here's the thing. When you're saved, born again, I ask people, are you born again? That's what I ask. Because Jesus said, marvel not, I say, you must be born again. Are you born again by God's Spirit? Are you a child of God who's been radically transformed and changed because Jesus has shown you grace and mercy and has called you, and by faith you received what he's offered and paid for you at the cross? And when you look at it like that, that changes everything in our life. Because when you're saved, you're not just, yeah, yeah, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven when I die. But what does that got to do with life? You're saved from the influential power of sin. That changes everything. If you're a true born again believer. Okay. Now, I just going to, I want to read to you for just a second. When you're saved, you're redeemed, bought back. Say, what am I redeemed from? You're redeemed from the wrath of God. To being totally 100% forgiven. 100%. You're redeemed from being a child of the devil or a child of wrath to being a child of God. The Bible says, and all who believe he gave the power to become the sons of God. First John talks about the fact that we are, now we are the children of God. Do you not understand what you, when you start looking at all the things you've got going in your life, should you not filter these things? You know, Cody's, you know, going through some uh, things you were talking about, you know, job changes and career changes and all that stuff. And he's kind of been kind of worked up this week about it. And I, and I was telling him, son, do you not realize who you are? You're a child of God. You don't worry and fret about things. And, and you know, the devil wants you to worry and fret and be anxious and, and, and all these things and, and, and stir us up to where we're focused on everything that we can see and that we can control. And I'm like, you're a child of the king. He said, here's what he said. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'll take care of everything else. Did he not promise that for us? And when we look at those things, you know, you're a child of God. You went from having no hope. If you're here without Christ today, he is your only hope. Outside of Jesus, no hope. I don't care who the president is. I don't care if they make Trump the king of of the United States. And you make a billion dollars a year for doing nothing. You have zero hope without Jesus. Because one day you're going to take your last breath, fall over dead, and all that money and all that recognition and everything else in life comes to nothing. You know, but with Jesus, we have an overwhelming hope. I don't care if you're a poor pauper and who the president is. Just because Joe Biden, I'm totally against his ways, just because Joe Biden's president, I have an overwhelming hope. I have an overwhelming hope it doesn't change no matter who the president is every four years. I don't care if they raise up Adolf Hitler and he's my president. I have an overwhelming hope because of who my king is. We go from we go from being forbidden because of our sin to having full access. Full access. Do you realize when you when you bow on your knees in prayer, you enter into the presence of a sovereign, most powerful God who has all of your attention and He's listening to you and He cares about you. I got to share this with you real quick because uh, me and Jeremy uh, was talking yesterday, and it's just I think it's a good thing the Lord brought to my mind. Uh, we was messing around with Rocker yesterday and. And we was riding somewhere, and we was on the way home. And, uh, see, what was it he said? I can't remember what he said when, about what we ought to do. Uh, he, he, yeah, he always comes up with some crazy ideas. Every time I tell you what we ought to do, 
Yeah, no, he said, I tell you, I tell you what we ought to do. We need to go home, sit on the front porch, and we need to wait on them geese to fly over and shoot them. He, he, he said, oh, he's got so much time. This is what we need to, he was just telling us what we ought to do. And I, I looked at Jeremy and I thought, do you know what it would be like if every time a kid come up with something that you did it? You know, if a kid, I'm like, all right, we're going to go home and sit on the front porch shotguns, even though there ain't no geese flying over, even though it's not goose season, we're going to sit here because it's a good idea. You know, and I said, I, you know, I don't think that's a good idea, and that's not what we're going to do. Do you not realize when you pray, some of you go, I don't understand. God doesn't hear my prayers. Why does God, blah, blah, blah. What if God just did everything we asked for? You know, in God's wisdom, some of the things I asked for, he's like, you know, that's totally crazy. We're not doing that, okay? I don't understand. You know, it ain't like you sit there and explain, okay, okay, Rocker, let me explain to you. He wouldn't get it. He'd be like, whatever, you know, I'm going to go home, chew bubble gum, and run through the mud, boy. And that's the way, compared to the wisdom of God, God is so good, and he's so sovereign that he's like, I've got your best interest at heart. And there are some things that you ask for that's just totally goofy. And he doesn't allow you to lead your life, but he's like, you know what? That's a good idea, but we're not going to do that, but we, I've got a better idea for you. And you've got to trust the Lord with that. Now, back to my message. Um, just let me read it to you because I, I couldn't remember, okay? As a believer, through the gospel, you possess the presence and power of God who can change all things, who can accomplish all things, who can raise the dead to life. So I haven't seen no dead raised to life. I have in my marriage. I've seen my, a dead marriage raised to life. And God raises the dead alive. Listen to me. If you're born again, you were dead in your trespass sin. You've been raised to life. And one day, your physical body, though it's dead, will be raised to life. You, 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 who takes that which is not and makes it as though it always was. A God who loves you, fights for you, prospers you, listens to you, opens doors of opportunities you did not know existed. I'm sorry. Who takes you from the hog pen filth of the life that I lived and sets you among princes. Who gives you eternal life and holds you in his hand of which no man can pluck you out. Do you realize when you say you're saved, the back, the, what backs you in that? All of those, to say you're saved is to say I have all of this in my life. And if that doesn't change your life, listen to me. The gospel has to become the first and foremost and greatest influence in our lives. And then everything else follows. And listen to me, I'm not talking about, thank you so much, a church experience. If you're like, well, the gospel, you know, I believe the gospel hadn't changed nothing. I don't know what you believe. I'm not talking about a church experience where you come and, oh, yeah, I got all pumped up. You know, when the preacher got pumped up and I came forward and I did this and I went on about living. I'm talking about a heart and life transformation because of what you believe. Okay. Second thing is, okay, I got to move on. I can preach on that for a little while. Second thing is when the gospel becomes first and foremost in your life, Notice what he says in verse 9. He has saved us. He has called us. Listen to me. He has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. The second greatest influence in your life has to be his purpose for your life. His purpose for your life. Uh, Jeremy was saying a while ago, when, when you, were, he was, you were knit together, Psalm 139 says, you were knit together in your mother's womb. And it also says that there is your book. You have a book that is written of you that was complete before one page of it, before you lived one day of your life. God has a perfect plan and a purpose for your life that most people are missing. 
Because we're not even being influenced by it and you don't see yourself in light of who God is. And listen to me. Quit allowing America to mold your thought process to go, well, that applies to preachers who are going to turn it into a career. This is not a career. And you don't have to go to seminary and you don't have to do all this. And I'm not going against that, but I'm just saying. Quit turning it into what we've made it. This is a job. This is a career. We do it for money. We got a little unction in us. But for the most part, you pick and choose. Every person who is a child of God, you have a calling and a purpose in your life that he wants to fulfill that will bring you absolute fulfillment and contentment and purpose and satisfaction and everything that you're looking for that you're missing because you're listening to a bunch of lies. You're being more influenced by the culture because you want to run up and down a stupid football field more than you want to serve the king of kings. I know that's probably going to hack some people up. Get hacked, okay? And now if that's God's calling and purpose for your life, run with it. You understand what I'm saying? But there's a lot of parents who never consider to, to, to cause your kids to seek after God's purpose for your life because you want to relive your failure as a sports star through your kid's life. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There ought to be some amens on that because there's a bunch of losers here. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You know, quit living through your kids and let Jesus live through them. Well, we just cut the, we just cut the air condition cost in half today. Amen. But listen to me. I, I know that, that here's the thing. If you believe the gospel, you gotta believe God's got a calling purpose. And I know exactly what a lot of you say. I just don't know what God's purpose is. I don't know what God's purpose is. Well, here's the trouble. The reason so many people struggle with finding it and, and living God's purpose is because we're so influenced by the American culture that we have caused God's purpose to become secondary in our life. You know, it's not most important. Why? Because you can't make money doing that. Well, guess what? He said, if I seek first the kingdom of God, he'll take care of all those things. But here's what I want to tell you. What we want to do is, you remember this in Acts chapter 9, where Saul of Tarsus, and now Paul, the apostle Paul, you know, he was totally against Jesus, and he was, he was uh, consenting to putting to death Christians, persecuting the church. And on the road to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him in a bright, shining light. It struck him down off his horse. That was Saul's conversion. And at that point... Everything changed in his life because here he said, he called me to be a preacher, a teacher, an apostle to the Gentiles. Here's what we want to do in America. Oh, everybody, you know, church folk want to have the road to Damascus experience. Oh, we, you know, yeah, we want, we want, we want that testimony where, oh, God spoke to me and I heard the scripture and it was just like, bam, and God saved me. It was just, it was amazing. And then we want to get up and continue to, to go to Damascus and fulfill the job we've been given in this world. What if Paul went, great experience, Jesus. Now I got to be on about my business because I want to hold on to being a Pharisee. You know, I've worked for that my whole life. And I've got good standings with the Sanhedrin, Lord. You know, you know I don't want to give that up. I know, thank you for saving me. I'm saved. But now I'm going to go right on and I'm going to continue to push for those things that I desire and that I built my life on and that I pushed for prior to seeing you. That's what we do. Then we come to church on Sunday. Goofy preacher says, God's got a purpose calling for your life. Like, I just don't know what that is. Well, you're not going to find it till you follow him. You understand? When that becomes the greatest influence in your life, you go, you know what? I don't care what kind of job I have. I don't care if I have influence as far as in this world. I don't care how much money I make. I'm not trying to live the American dream. I don't care if I've got a 401k and if I've got to trust God all the way up to I'm 85 and I have no retirement. If all that stuff has to get out of the way, freaking people out. 
If all that stuff has to go in order for me to fulfill God's purpose, I just have enough faith to believe he'll take care of everything, just like he said. Just like he said. And you know what? All the people who chase after that, 99% of them, who live their life to try to get all the money they can have, to live all the things they can have in this world, to have their retirement, and all those things, when they get to their life, they're like, boy, that was pretty empty. And it went by that fast, and I feel like I didn't, what was my point and purpose? To make money just like the atheist? To live a life just like an atheist? What's the difference between your life and theirs? Why should they turn to the Lord Jesus when we live just like them? And so in that, um, uh, you'll give me 10 minutes and I'll be done. You know, we was talking last night. There's a friend of ours that I used to pastor in. This person is, is not walking with the Lord now. And they've invested their life into something else that... They're, they're, it's just eating them alive. You know, just it's a stupid activity is what it is. And I ain't going to tell you what it is, and I ain't going to tell you who it is. But they're just, you know, giving to it, giving to it. And we was talking about it, and I told my wife, I said, because the reason people do that is because that's their pearl of great price. You know, in the Bible, you know, what is the pearl of great price? Look it up this week. <laughs> you study it for yourself, so I don't have time. But Jesus, in the Bible, is pointed out as he is the pearl of great price in which we sell everything else, and we just want him. And what so many people do, some of you have a different pearl of great price. And what you do is you live and you give everything to that, whether it's money, whether it's a reputation, whether it's some kind of entertainment, you know, whether I don't care what it is, you, you give yourself to that. Say, why do I, why do I give myself? Because that's your hope. That's what you're looking to find, who you are, your purpose in life, your peace, to give you, give you some kind of significance. And so you pour into it and you pour into it. You know what? It don't matter how far it carries you. You look up and go, that's, that's empty and vain. Isn't that what Solomon said? Man, I gave myself to all these things. It's just, it's just vain. It's empty. Man, you got to give your life to Jesus. It's good stuff, okay? Let me finish up the last one. You got the influence of the gospel, the influence of God's purpose in your life. <clears throat> this, this is very important. I ain't going to cover it because of time, but I do want to read it. Verse 15, notice what he said. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagilus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy unto the household of Onesophorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The third greatest influence in your life are the people who are in your circle. I'm not talking about just the people you're around. I'm talking about the people in your circle. The people you listen to, the people you consider, the people that you converse with, the people that you hang out with, your Facebook people, all those people. That's your circle. That's the ones that influence your life. And you'll notice here, I, I thought, it was, you know, obviously this first two that forsaken Phagilus and Hermogenes, however you pronounce that, obviously at one point, he's like, even they have forsaken me. You know, they, they were influenced by all the things that was going on. Like, see you, Paul, I'm out of here. You know, but, but here you see the one on the sophorus. We need more people like this. His name actually means to be a benefit. How many of you have a friend who benefits your faith? Who encourages you in the Lord? Who encourages you and challenges you with God's word and God's calling and purpose in your life? Those are the people that you should surround yourself with. And listen to me very clearly. I'm not talking about being a witness here. I'll witness to a telephone pole if it'll listen. You know, it doesn't matter. I don't care what a person's life is or what they're involved in. I'm not talking about, I'm not Jesus. He said, well, Jesus surrounded himself with sinners, but he wasn't influenced by them. 
And there's a lot of times I think we use that excuse. Well, I go to the bar because I want to be around, you know, folks who are lost. You don't got to go to a bar to be around lost folks. Listen to me. I think a lot of times we just want to go to the bar. And we're influenced by that. And we want to call it Christianity. Okay, how many people are coming out of the bar coming to Jesus? I don't, you know, you do your own thing, okay? And I'm not saying, yeah, that's between you and the Lord. But what I am saying is, you got to be careful who you let in your circle. Parents have to be careful. And yes, you are in charge. You are in charge. God's giving you that authority. God's giving you that calling and that stewardship of your children. And especially when your kids are little, listen to me. You don't just throw them out there and go, well, y'all make your friends. And I heard an incredible message this week, and, and he was talking about foolishness and, and how, you know, we, we, uh, we, kids are never around adults anymore. And then when they get up to be teenagers, they go and do their things because they treat mom and dad like they're crazy. Mom and dad lets them do that. And, and, and how they surround themselves with other kids. And the Bible said foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Young people are foolish. I'm not being offensive, just being truthful. And when I, was, I'm, I still do some foolish things, but I'm not careful. But when I was a kid, absolute foolishness. I'm talking about, and you know what I did? I surrounded myself with other fools. Now, what's going to come of that? Amen? I think as parents, we need to be directing our kids to go, you don't want to be in the company of fools, or it's going to cause you to be foolish, and you know what I'm going to do when you're foolish. You understand what I'm saying? But you should not let your kids grow up and just pick whoever, go wherever, do whatever, because when they're surrounded by the influence of demonic forces that are in other people and that's exactly what he is guess what the results of that's going to be you can't say well, little johnny was saved that doesn't mean anything that he can't be influenced by that will destroy his life and as adults i think we need to be careful who we allow in our circle that our circle should absolutely be strong believers most of the time believers who are stronger than us because they cause us to to step up in our walk and they challenge us and they encourage us. And they show us the same grace that Paul is showing Timothy here. That's the kind of people I want in my circle. You know, here's the thing. I'll let somebody in my circle for a minute. But if all you do is spew out negative junk and you, and you move me to, or, to, or try to influence me to move away, you are getting out of my circle. I'm going to unfriend y'all. I don't even know how to do I don't know how to do that, okay? Actually, I had one this week that I don't do a lot of Facebook, but I'll look on it one or two times a week. I told my wife, I said, I need to know how to unfriend somebody. Because all it was was just negative filth is what it was. He, he claims to be a believer. I'm like, I just want you to know, I see y'all post. Okay. And I'm like, I looked at the post. It's more than one. I looked at the post. I backed up and looked at the name and went, what are you thinking? You stand up at church on Sunday. You just blurt out, oh, I'm a believer in Jesus. But you'll post the same filth that a godless moron will post. Unfriend you. All right now. But here's the thing that I want to say. You take those three things. You take those three things and you go, this is going to be what I want to be the greatest influence of my Your life will radically change. Radically change. And you will begin to see the things that the Bible says in your life. And you will see a transformation in you. You will begin to be an influence of light and hope and truth on people around you of what we should be. You'll be an influence of the gospel. You'll look up and you'll be like, this is what life should be. That's what he came to give us. And I just want to say this morning, if you're here and you, you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you look and go, the gospel, is, you know, I've heard it, I know Jesus done it. Well, what is it to you personally? Do you believe it? Oh, I'm not asking you to come up and pray a sinner's prayer. What I'm saying is, in your heart, in your soul, do you believe it to the point where you went, because I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, 
that he was buried in my grave and that he arose again on my behalf, it has radically transformed my thought process, my purpose of living, and everything in my life. That's what it means to be a Christian. All this other mess, I don't know what that is, but that's what biblical Christianity is. If you've never trusted in Jesus, it's not about what I need to say. It's about, do you believe? Because according to the truth, we're all guilty sinners. And we're all headed for destruction. And God intervened. Listen to me. I heard an awesome thing. God doesn't send people to hell. You're already on your way to hell. God intervened to save us from hell. Is what he did. He loved you enough. Just like some while ago. God loved you so much. He sent his only son to intervene in your pathway of destruction. To stop you and go, I'll forgive you. And I'll save you from this path. And I'll put you on a righteous path. A path of life and a path of living. And a path of glory. And a path of purpose. And I will walk with you all the way home. That's what Jesus has promised. If you don't know him this morning, then believe the gospel. Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And he'll save you. And he'll direct you. And he'll do everything that he's promised to you. And as far as believers here this morning, maybe you've got some influence in your life you need to put out. Whether it's somebody you need to put out of your circle. Whether it's some of that other junk that we read off that you need to get rid of. And you need to start putting this influence into your life. Believe it. Live it. And watch it happen. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Lord, I love you so much, God. Thank you that you love me. Thank you, Lord, that you... only reason that I love you, Lord, is because you first loved me. And God, I just thank you for everyone here who loves you, Lord, and have given their heart and their life to you. Lord, above all, just desire for all of us to see what you can do with people who are surrendered to you. Lord, that we would take the Bible for what it says, that we would believe it. God, that we would be willing, Lord, to give up whatever, whatever it takes. To fulfill your calling and purpose that you died in order that we could do that, Lord. So that we can walk with you, God, so that we can see you working in our lives day in and day out. Lord, not for our purpose, God, but for your purpose. That you would receive the glory, God, for all that you've done for us, Jesus. You're so worthy of so much. Lord, I just pray that you would take the influence of godlessness out of my life. Lord, let me see myself for who I am in light of what you've done for me, of what you speak over me through your name, Lord, what you've redeemed me to be. And God, I just pray, Lord, that each and every person here this week, Lord, that we would desire something different, Lord, than what this culture is trying to pass off on us. Lord, that we make the changes necessary that there be repentance in our life. Lord, that we wouldn't 